0: I'd like us to walk um, a bit through the gospel according to John with an eye specifically on encounters that people had with Jesus. And as we do walk through uh, John's gospel, I hope to discuss what was at the heart of those encounters. You know, what deep questions were met. And also in these encounters, we're going to look at what happened, what was centered around them, but the deeper spiritual Truth to which these encounters illustrate and teach us. So, two Sundays ago, we looked at uh, chapter one in John, where Jesus called his first disciples to come and follow him. And in it, we, we learned a number of things about Jesus, just in the, the names of Jesus, all just within uh, a matter of verses, the disciples. Their confession about Jesus, they said that Jesus was the Lamb of God, the Son of God, Rabbi, the Messiah, the one whom Moses and the prophets wrote, King of Israel. And then Jesus said of himself, the Son of Man. All of those different titles and names, all, with just, all within just a few verses in chapter 1. But their response to Jesus' call was to follow. And in following, they then spread the message. We even saw examples of that um, when when Peter was brought to Jesus, when Philip went to Nathaniel and he said, "Just come and see, come and see for yourself who Jesus is." And so that was the encouragement for us all. And I'd like to keep that in front of us. You know, who is that one person on your heart that you can pray for? Someone that you could have the opportunity just to say, "Come and see." You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. Just have your experience with the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior, and to say to someone else, come and see. So continue to pray for that person or those people. But as we enter into our text today, let us pray. Almighty God, Holy Son, Guiding Spirit, lead us as your word is read and your truth proclaimed. Sanctify us by your word this morning and empower us to live into the new life we have in Jesus Christ. Show us both individually and as a church, a collective body that is united by your spirit. Show us your will for us that we may walk in your ways as we seek and strive to do your will, Lord. Not our will, but your, your will. So bless us now with open minds and open hearts that we might joyfully receive your grace and truth. Amen. Well, a faithful reading of Scripture takes context into account. And so I'm going to back up just just a couple verses before we launch into our text today in chapter 3. Just the the last couple verses of chapter 2, because they kind of set the the stage for us a little bit. So this is John chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. It says, now when he, he here is uh, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. Jesus had now traveled into Jerusalem, as we learn. He traveled there for a reason, for the Passover festival, an important uh, uh, celebration in the Jewish tradition. And we read in those words that the people saw the signs that Jesus was doing. All right, This doesn't mean that you know, he was making signs and saying, yeah, go team, or anything like that. He wasn't at a football game. It wasn't doing sign language for people. What does it mean? It means that he was doing things that just could not be reasonably explained or rationally explained. He was doing these miracles. And the first sign that John's gospel records is in chapter 2 when Jesus uh, turns the water into uh, wine at the wedding um, in Cana in chapter 2. And in that event, when Jesus did that, it tells us a little bit about what we learn from these signs that Jesus does. This is is kind of an important theme in the Gospel of John. But in chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Jesus did this, that is, that miracle, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. These signs were to reveal his glory, or as the ESV uh, translates it, manifested His glory. And it led people to believe in him, to see that that is the Son of God. These weren't just, you know, crazy parlor tricks or anything like that. These were signs that pointed beyond themselves to indicate that Jesus was the Son of God. They manifested his glory. And so in our text today, Jesus, he's he's now in Jerusalem. And we don't know what these signs were that Jesus is doing, as we'll see in a second. But that's not going to be as important as what they were pointing to and the deeper spiritual significance of what these signs meant. So we're going to continue in our text. So this is John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So let's pause here and just elaborate on these details just in these these first two verses. Let's start with just who is Nicodemus? Okay well we know a a couple things just looking at verse one. We know that Nicodemus uh, was a man of the Pharisees and a ruler of the Jews. So let's talk about that So being a Pharisee, from what we know of of this time, being a Pharisee meant that Nicodemus was a man of some status. He was a man who was deeply religious. He had some deep convictions. It, It was no small thing to be a Pharisee. There was training. There was rigorous training involved. And Pharisees took very seriously adherence to the law. And Jesus, on numerous occasions throughout all the Gospels, had a number of run-ins with the Pharisees on different issues of keeping the law. But also being a Pharisee meant that Nicodemus believed in a spiritual realm. Uh, this was, you know, he believed in a life beyond the physical world, which is opposed to what the Sadducees believed. But in addition to that, even... Uh, in addition to being described as a Pharisee, John also says that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. Now this doesn't mean he was like king of the Jews, that's not what it's meaning there. It's meaning that he was a, a leader of the Jews, implying that Nicodemus was most likely uh, a member of the Sanhedrin, the, the governing body of the Jews. And so he had a greater status, a greater Um, amount of prestige and status as a member of this governing body. So you put that all together and Nicodemus was very likely a highly respected individual who had devoted his life uh, to serving God, who had a good standing and reputation amongst his peers to be put in such positions and no doubt he was serious about his faith and his life. Well, let's continue on now. So verse 2. So this man, this Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. All right, let's pause there. Sometimes specific details that are in a sentence, we just kind of read right over them. But the fact that Nicodemus went to Jesus at night is probably telling us something. Now, this is, this is my, where I get the title, Nick at Night, for my sermon. So this is the original, Nick at Night, So why at night? Well, it's kind of not, if you really think about it, it's not really that difficult to comprehend why maybe Nicodemus chose to visit Jesus at night. I mean, after all, he had a reputation to uphold. And here's this Jesus person. Pharisees didn't really like him so much. And so what would happen if his peers saw him fraternizing with Jesus or, you know, really asking, like, intriguing questions to Jesus? What would they think? What would it cost him? You know, maybe not, it would, probably wouldn't have cost him his official position. It probably wouldn't have stripped him of his official status. But I'm sure he would have faced some displeasure in some ways from his peers. You know, the, the unspoken things. We do this today you know what i'm talking about the the passive aggressive judgments of others the condescending looks the snide remarks amongst others the uh, roll of the eyes the behind the back comments to peers the water cooler gossip the facebook post you know anonymous ones you know we probably all felt that from others before and if we're really honest we've likely done that to others too when we don't approve of someone's actions or behaviors or beliefs or whatever. So Nicodemus decides to try to avoid all that and goes to Jesus at night under the cover of darkness so nobody can see him. And he appears to have a genuine interest in Jesus because he says to Jesus, Rabbi. So he gives him a, a t- you know this, this uh, honorable title. Remember, Nicodemus has status he's he's trained as a pharisee he's an expert in the law a rabbi by his own merit and i imagine that it would have been unlikely for very many rabbis to call jesus rabbi jesus wasn't one of them but nicodemus even goes beyond that title says rabbi we know that you are a teacher who has come from god for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. For, for Nicodemus, these signs, whatever they were in Jerusalem that Jesus was doing, these signs that Jesus was performing in their midst, it revealed something greater about Jesus. That the presence of God was with him. So he had to know more. So here he is at night. Face to face with Jesus, and Jesus responds to him. So Nicodemus, he doesn't really ask him a question yet, but Jesus responds in verse three with this: it says Jesus answered him, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Nicodemus said to him, "How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be to be born?" Now let's be honest question that Nicodemus asked is a fair question. It's a reasonable question to ask. All right? We all know that we are born, we live, we die. Like, that's the basic rhythm. That's the natural rhythm to all of life. That's what we physically see and observe. That's just what we know. That is, that is thinking empirically. It's how we operate. You know, we learn by what we can see, by what we can observe And it affects so much of our behavior. It affects, you know, um, how we think, what we're influenced by. It's all what we observe through our eyes, through our ears, what we hear, what we see. And Nicodemus is puzzled because he's saying, you're saying that someone has to be born again. That doesn't happen. We don't see that. That doesn't make sense. Are you sure you meant that? I don't know. You know, whatever he's saying here. So Jesus, you know, just what is, what do you mean? And so let's continue and hear Jesus' response then to Nicodemus' questions here. Jesus answered, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, "'unless one is born of water and the Spirit, "'he cannot enter the kingdom of God. "'That which is born of the flesh is flesh, "'and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. "'Do not marvel that I have said to you, "'you must be born again. "'The wind blows where it wishes.'" And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. So we're gonna, I want us to spend some time with just two sentences that Jesus has said so far. So these two sentences, uh, verse three and verse five I should have those on a slide together so you can see them uh, next to each other nope not that one that one there we go okay verse three because you may have been listening you're like that kind of sounds like the same thing very close so verse three truly truly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God verse five Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, we should pay attention. Okay? So, a way, when someone reiterated a word, especially in the the ancient world, it was a way to to emphasize what was being said. It's like when we say, you know, do you really want to do something? Do you really, really want to do something? You know, it's like, or, you know, we we have other ways of doing that as well. Same type of thing here. So when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, and he says it twice, and he says it twice about essentially a sentence that's saying the same thing, we should really, 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 really take note. It's important. It's like Jesus is saying, listen up, this is important. So let's look at it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, or I'm going to kind of merge them together a little bit, or born of water and the Spirit, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Those are pretty serious statements. I mean, if you think about them, if you look at it, if you read it, if you hear it, unless one is born again, born of water and Spirit, he cannot see or enter the kingdom of heaven. Meaning that there is no other way to see or enter the kingdom of heaven except by being born again. What Jesus is te- teaching Nicodemus, and by extension teaching us through the written word, is what we call in theological terms, regeneration. So Normally, the hyphens aren't there, but I put the hyphens in there to help us just as we're we're going to talk about this word "regeneration" real quick. So it has a prefix, a root, and a suffix. we're going to work backwards through it because that's going to make more sense to us. so we're going to start with the Asian. What does the suffix Asian" mean? Well, according to the internet and whatever site I went to. now this makes sense, but it means oh nope, go back just Stay on that one. Yeah, stay on that one for a bit. All right, so Asian means action or process. It means the action or process. Okay, so we got that in mind. Let's go to the, the root. So it looks like the root gene. I'll be honest, I didn't know what to do with the R in that, so I just put it in a parenthesis. <laughs> but the root is gene, all right? And it comes from the Greek language. It's the word, where we get the word gene from or genetics, or generator. There's there's lots of words that have that root in it. It's also where we get the word Genesis from in the Bible. The first book of the Bible. The word Genesis, it it doesn't come from the Hebrew manuscript of the Old Testament. It comes from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. That's why we call it Genesis. It's the Greek word for it. The The Hebrew word for Genesis is Bereshit. That's the Hebrew way to say it, but it's Genesis in the Greek. And so this gene, this root word, what does it mean? It means to beget. It means to give birth or beginnings, to begin. Alright, so we have the last part. We have generation, All right, which we think of people kind of being born around the same time period. That's kind of not what we're getting at here. It's the action of birth. It's the action of beginning now let's add in our prefix re well we kind of know what that means that means again right so regeneration quite literally means the act of being born again that that's the word regeneration the act process whatever of being born again and that's why we use that term because it's exactly what jesus is talking about So what ought we know? What what should we know about regeneration? So now let's go to that next slide. Well, first, that it's important. The first thing we need to know about regeneration is that it is essential and necessary in order to have salvation. Jesus has already reiterated this point in two verses. Unless one is born again, unless someone is regenerated he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Regeneration is the necessary requirement to enter the kingdom of God. It's not just about, you know, coming to faith in Christ. It's not just about trying to do better or turning over a new leaf or just, you know, trying to be nicer to people. Being in Christ... Being regenerate or regenerated describes an act of having a new birth, being a new person. There is no salvation without regeneration. The second thing we ought to know is that regeneration is a spiritual birth. We kind of probably gathered that from what Jesus says. Jesus explained that it's not a physical birth but a spiritual one when he said, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. That's what he's talking about. Or as Paul, uh, Peter sorry, says in his letter in chapter 1, verse 23, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. You've been born again of the imperishable spirit through the living and abiding word of God. Now, I wanted to make something clear here that when we say that something is spiritual that does not mean that it is not real. To say that something is spiritual does not mean that it's just you know, like metaphorical or immaterial or doesn't really have that much impact or you know, something like that. Just because we can't empirically you know, see something or measure something doesn't mean that it's not real or important or true. The truth actually the truth is that spiritual reality is the greater reality. In, in, in ways, it's more real than the physical reality. Spiritual truth transcends and trumps what is physically true, meaning that spiritual truth is more important than what we know to be physically true. And so I want us to just kind of take that point to heart. What matters more than your physical birth, or your physical life, for that matter, is your spiritual birth and your spiritual life. That is the greater reality. The third thing we should know about regeneration is that it is the work of the Spirit. It is the work of God that regenerates us. Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Or as Paul says in Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. There's this new birth. He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And he goes on, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not the results of works, so that no one may boast. We do not regenerate ourselves. It is the work of God. It is the gift of God. Which leads right into our next point. The fourth thing that I wanted to to mention is that regeneration precedes faith. That's what you might have to kind of think about a little bit. Regeneration precedes faith. Meaning that, meaning that it's not the result of coming to faith. And there, there's different denominations, different church uh, perspective, or Christian perspectives disagree about this. Whether regeneration precedes faith or regeneration is a result of faith. We believe that regeneration precedes faith because it is the gift of God. Our regeneration is the catalyst for our faith. And both are a gift of God. Both our new life in Christ and our faith. And how God has claimed us in the faith. We have faith because God has given us that new life. And we believe this because we believe that God is wholly and completely sovereign in his gracious work of salvation. Last thing I wanted to to note about regeneration is that it is the beginning of our new life in Christ as we live here and now. It does have relevance for us here and now. It's not just about thinking about, you know, eternity and eternal life. It matters to us here and now. Because regeneration is not the end of the Christian life. It's not like we get to that point where we're like, all right, did that. I'm done. You know, I was baptized. Done. That marks the beginning of our Christian life. Remember, it's in the word regeneration, beginnings, birth. And baptism is a sign of our regeneration. And it's, it's where we publicly profess our faith, faith. And it's an act of faithful obedience. We live out our faith. And, and Paul kind of elaborates in this uh, on this in Romans 6. He says, do you not know... That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Or these familiar words in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. There was one commentator I came across, and he said that regenerate people are new creations. Where formerly they had no disposition, inclination, or desire for the things of God, they are now disposed and inclined toward God. In regeneration, God plants a desire for himself in the human heart that otherwise would not be there. Regeneration marks the beginning of our new life in Christ. It sets us forward on a path. And so it has meaning and relevance for us here and now. And as we look to the future, as we plan for the future, as we live out each and every day. Christ has called us to faithfulness discipleship in this new life. Now I want to wrap that up, and we're going to finish out our text for today from chapter 3. And uh, it's John chapter 3. You probably already know a few verses from this, um, but I wanted to read through it, and then I wanted to to circle back to just uh, a couple points before I close. So after Nicodemus, he expressed his confusion All of what follows is Jesus' response, is Jesus' teaching for Nicodemus. So we're picking up at verse 11. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Again, there's a lot of things in there that could be whole sermons unto themselves, but for another day. But I wanted to to read through the rest of that here, because that follows up Jesus' response to Nicodemus. And then I wanted to ask, how does Nicodemus respond? We don't know. Because right after this verse, we don't hear anything from Nicodemus. He's not mentioned. and in, in fact, the, the next verse describes Jesus traveling with his disciples in the Judean countryside. The, the scene has changed. We get these words, John 3.16, you know, that the whole world basically knows whether you're Christian or non-Christian. And we don't get any response from Nicodemus. But actually the Gospel of John does mention Nicodemus again, actually twice later. And so I wanted to to note these two occasions because we see kind of a progression in Nicodemus's life. So Nicodemus part two, uh, this is in John chapter 7. And what's happened here is Jesus again went to Jerusalem and he's kind of stirred up some commotion and the Pharisees are upset and they want to have Jesus arrested. And then it says that, this is uh, chapter 7 verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, that is one of the Pharisees, said to them. So he said this to the other Pharisees. He said this to his peers, right, that he was hiding from in the darkness when he went to see Jesus before so he says this, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So he poses a question. It's not much to go on here, but it, we see Nicodemus, at least now publicly, offer a word of defense for Jesus. And you begin to wonder, I wonder where Nicodemus's heart is now. Let's continue on. And that's that's really all that's said of him in that scene. And then it switches scenes. And then John returns to Nicodemus, but this time it's in John chapter 19, verse 38. And this occurs right after Jesus had died on the cross. It says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Here we see Nicodemus publicly now, more publicly honoring and serving Christ. You know, this this person who was by his peers labeled a blasphemer, worthy of disgrace and death. Nicodemus now serves to prepare Jesus' body for burial. That doesn't exactly sound like something just a general acquaintance would do. It doesn't sound like something a Pharisee Would do. And John doesn't say anything else here about Nicodemus. But it's my belief that Nicodemus understood the greater spiritual truth about Christ that for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I believe that Nicodemus was regenerated and lived out his new life in Christ to the glory of God. I want to end with just one question, one big question. How can one know if he or she is regenerate, is born again? Well, genera- Regeneration, as we said, is the work of God. But I believe that when one is regenerated by God, there is evidence and there is fruit of their regeneration. And so to answer this I want to flip to John's epistle. So we were looking at the gospel according to John. If you flip later in the New Testament, we see the the letters of John. Because it's in the letters of John that I think we get uh, this answer in two very specific ways. So how can one know if he or she is regenerate or born again? The first, and first and foremost, faith in Jesus. You can be assured Of your regeneration by belief and trust that Jesus is the Son of God who has redeemed you from your sin. As John says in 1 John chapter 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. He uses that same language about being born of God. And also in 1 John 3, I won't read all that, but if you want to make note of it. 1 John 3 verses 23 and 24 and even into chapter 4. um, Some good verses there that also... Uh, support that but the second thing how one can know see evidence of their regeneration is obedience to christ walking like jesus john says in chapter 2 verses 3 through 6 and by this we know like he, he, he see that he doesn't say we guess or we think he says by this we know That we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he did. We should not have to worry about our salvation. As so long as we have those two key elements. Faith and obedience. To the best of our ability. So remember. That the greater reality is the spiritual reality for your life. And we can have a sure and firm confidence that Christ has saved us through faith in him by the grace of God. So may God's grace Fill you with his peace, peace both now, today, and forevermore. Let us go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for your holy word. Lord, we thank you for these encounters that um, people long ago had with Jesus. Lord, that we can learn from them, learn from your words, learn what is your truth for us. Lord, you call us to believe. And Lord, you have given us new life, and so empower us and embolden us and guide us in this new life. Lord, that we would be your humble servants. Lord, you call us also to pray for one another. Lord, for those grieving loss, we pray for Judy Lacey and her family.